You've played the missions, but do you really know the lore? We are here to be your guides. Your guardians. This is Guardians of Lore. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Guardians. Welcome to Guardians of Lore. This is episode 119, recorded July 11th, 2021. The topic for this episode is the 2021 Solstice Armor, and I am your host for this episode. My name is Orchid. And I am Elemist. Hello. Yo. Um, I have some podcast info for you. We encourage feedback. It can be sent to us on Twitter at guardians underscore lore. You can straight up at me at hey, it's Orchid. You can add Elemist at I underscore am underscore Elemist. Nailed it. <sighs> ha. You can send us an email at guardians underscore lore at outlook.com. I can see your face in my mind. Um, you can also leave us a review wherever you can find the podcast. You can also say hi to us in our Discord. Um, there is a link for the Discord in the description of this episode. Yep. You can also find our info on thelorenetwork.com alongside many impressive lore content creators. We are still there. Hasn't and changed. We continue to be. In like nope. the last four months we've set, had that joke. <sighs> They have forgotten about us. We're still there. Maybe that's what and it it's, is. It's just kind of no. like we're in the background. Like, should we still be here? Well, nobody's no, kicked us out. That's what it is. <laughs> that they've forgotten about us. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm just kinda, anyway. Yeah. No, they've forgotten about us. It's not that they want to kick us out. It's just that we just don't matter so much that they've just forgotten about us. It's kind of like that that weird cousin that you invite in the house and they come. What the hell kind of cousins do you have that you and, just invite weird cousins in the house? And and like they go to the restroom and everybody else is what? is all dealing with everything else and you just forget that that cousin's there. Everybody else leaves and then they come out and they're like, where did everybody go? What? No. I mean, <laughs> I have a, okay. 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 Um, all right. Okay. Maybe, maybe, possibly I could be that cousin. Possibly. Oh, I definitely I think see it. I can see that happening only because, okay, hear me out. I can see that happening only because I have a lot of family. Okay. I have a lot of family in Utah. There, we, there are a lot of us on my dad's side. There are so many. He has like, he has a sister who married into a very large family and they had like seven kids and all of them had seven kids. Oh, and geez. the last time I went, oh my god, there are so many of them. I don't know all of their names anymore, and they all look the same. And the last time I went over to their house, and all their houses are really big because there's just so much room in Utah. And so, like, like me being the pleb I am, like last time I went over um to their house, we had like a family reunion thing, and um a family reunion of like, who are you people? Like, <laughs> I'm related to you. How? Like, I don't like anything like you, but okay, <laughs> hi. 
But like they have like a movie theater in their basement. I'm like, you have basements? How are they not like we have earthquakes? We're not allowed to have basements. Like, okay. Like neat. Oh, all right. King Midas over here with this like golden basement. But if I had like, a basement, I don't, that's what I would do. You would just turn it into gold or put a movie theater in it. Movie theater, not or gold. Fill it with gold. You make turn it gold and then put a movie theater in it. Make it really shiny. No, no, no. I'll make it nerd gold and I'll make it a movie theater or a gaming st- oh. studio. <laughs> a gaming studio basement. Yeah. I would just like fill it with pillows. I would just make an entire room full of pillows. I think, I think people call that a padded room. No. <laughs> Not a padded room. It would just be like a pile of pillows. Like, and it would just be like my nap room. It would just be a room for napping. It would be like, it wouldn't be a bedroom because there'd be no bed. It would just be like a pile of like plushy pillows that you would just get lost in. You could just be like, oh. Yeah, this is my pile of pillows. Fuck off. Like I'm having a nap. Like you're not a you're not invited. This is my nap pile. Like that's what I would do if I was rich. I'd have like an entire room full of pillows. It'd be amazing. Like, if you're listening to this episode, like just like add us at Guardians underscore lore. I want to know what you're gonna do with your like basement room if you're super rich. Like, I need to hear this now. <laughs> like, this is really important to me. <laughs> Got completely <laughs> off track. But anyway, like Seriously, if like the last time I was at one of these, like I wanted to run away from people because I'm like, I don't know who any of you people are. And they had a piano and I play the piano and um, I like escaped with my iPad because I'm that person who will bring my iPad to a party full of a bunch of people I don't know. So I can like go watch anime like in a closet, like on my iPad. So I don't have to talk to anybody. So I was like intending on like sitting in a closet somewhere like to watch anime so I wouldn't have to talk to any of my family for like four hours because I had like I had brought a really long cable and like the plug (laughs) for my iPad. Like I had like a 12 foot long power cable (laughs) for my iPad. I was just thinking that like you've got this cable running throughout the entire house into a closet. I had like. I had like a twelve foot long power cable and like and like the plug for my iPad. I was gonna, like intending on sitting in like someone's closet, like on their shoeboxes, like watching anime because I'm that person that like does not want to talk to people to the point of like will close a closet and not speak to you. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, like. <laughs> Someone's like, why don't you play the piano for us? And I'm like, yes, I'll do that. Because when you're playing the piano, people ignore you. Like, they will ignore you because then they'll just come over and be like, this is so pretty. And then they'll just ignore you. And it's great. They'll just walk around you like you're part of the furniture. And so I played the piano for like three hours. (laughs) And so that's what I did. At the party. Instead of watching anime, I was a little put out that I couldn't watch anime, but you know. I guess play piano, so it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this house was bonkers. There was like there was like a ping pong room. 
it was a room that just had a ping pong table in it. And there was a room that just had a movie theater in it with like a bar in the back, but a bar that didn't have alcohol in it. What kind of bar what? is that? It had like, yeah. Like that? It was a bar. What? But like, instead of like, yeah. But instead of like the thing that you pull down, like for like the nitro, that you'd like the nitro hookup, uh-huh. that you'd put a keg in. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It. It was. It was for soda. I. I can somewhat it, it, see that because you know if you got kids you don't want. It was caffeine free soda. Oh no, that's just crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> it really offended the shit out of me. I hated everything about it. Yeah. It was. Um. It was the weirdest place I've ever been. I don't want to go back. <laughs> I was just like, what are you doing with all this money? <laughs> How am I related to you? <laughs> I got back to my like tiny house and was totally happy with it. Well, you know where we should go? <gasps> we should go to that master raid completion that you just did. Tell me all about I, it. I was about to say this week at Guardians of Lore. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, so Master Vogue just came out this week. Mm-hmm. I pretty much rage quit two days in a row because oh it, we, so the first day we ended up getting all the way to gate or um, Templar. And it was at that point that like I had to log off because I had work the next day. So we, we were just like, all right, you know what? We'll, we'll pick it up tomorrow. We ended up picking it up the day after. And we got from, Templar all the way to Gatekeeper. So we literally completed one encounter. Um, and then we quit. Mm-hmm. Spent just as much time there as we did the previous night. Uh, and then we ended up actually finishing it today, Sunday. And it like I'm I'm never doing that the challenge for gatekeeper again really so what what is involved in this challenge for those of us like me who don't know what the challenge is so for the actual gatekeeper encounter there is a minotaur with a shield trying to go to a conflux and sacrifice itself in either venus or mars and in the opposite one a chicken spawns uh, a wyvern Right. I call it a chicken so it, much that I had to actually... I call it an emu. I call it a chicken so much that I had to actually stop and think what the actual name was. Um, no, it's okay. So you've got a minotaur and a chicken spawning about the same time. They are both trying to sacrifice to the complex. Mm-hmm. The challenge, and this is the weekly rotational challenge... Um, is that you have to kill both of those at the same time. The problem is that on Master, they turned up the gatekeeper spawning like by double what it used to be in normal. Really? And there's no radar, so you have no idea when that overload minotaur spawns unless you're watching it. Um, And hopefully... The regular Vex that came out didn't sneak up on you. 
It was awful. Really? Oh no. By the time I actually got the hang of like keeping a plate, it was today. Oh jeez. <laughs> and and it like we did it three or four tries later. Um by the time we got to like the fourth or fifth round of Minotaur and chicken, like my team was just like, no, come on, we need to this needs to end. This needs to end oh now. <laughs> oh no. Uh, we were running low on revives. We like it was just it was a mess. It is a challenge Gosh. that we might do it on normal, but I don't see us doing it on master ever again. <laughs> oh no. Well, you got it done though. Yes. So that's great. Painfully, but yes. Um, and we ended up getting the time lost Hezen's vengeance, and it it's dirty. Oh, is it? Um, it has the curated role as secondary perks. Really? And the primary perks are what are the random rolls. So, like, you can get auto loading holster and vorpal, or you know, tracking and demolitionist, or something. You know, overflow and. But um, overflow and cluster bombs is the curated part of it. So that's going to be on mm. every single roll. Which then brings me to Fatebringer. I'm excited to grind that out. Because <laughs> it's going to have the Fatebringer roll as the curated part of it. So explosive payload and Firefly. So that's going to be a fun one to get. Wow. But yeah, we did master, and like I'm only going to be getting one completion of that each week, if that. Right. Um, my team is talking about like getting checkpoints early in the week. That way, we can just run it the one time for the challenge and be done with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it was rough. It was rough. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, at least you did it once, question mark? Yes. Okay. But now, it's so like, I've got the ship, but mm-hmm. now we've got four other challenges to do on Master, and that's going to be interesting. I mean, you'll get them, though. Yeah. yeah. The ship is really pretty, though. Oh, it is. The only thing mm-hmm. that changes on it because of the shaders is the uh, the central part of it, the cockpit. Oh, okay. So the four crystal parts stay exactly the same, no matter what shader. Nice. That's the prettiest part. Yeah. That's the best part. Oh, yeah. And, like, I put Bitter Pearl on the ship, so the cockpit matches the the four crystals. It's cool. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Let's see. What else happened this week? Um... It was Bungie Day on 7-7. Um, so they came out with the kind of spoiled uh, ramen emblem. You can go download that. That is available to download for free. That was uh, very nice of them. They also announced... Um, God, what is the date of that? It's in August. Their announcement for... Um, uh, 
Oh, the Destiny 2 showcase for August 24th for Witch Queen. Yeah. Um, it's, for their... It's the, the new yeah. season start day. Is that the new season start day? That's when the showcase is. I thought that was... I thought that was the, is that the showcase? I thought that yes. was for their video thing. Whatever. The actual preview is on August 24th. The new season starts August 24th. So okay. I've, I've got a feeling that like, while we're still it, after. The new season I thought was before then. No. Is it? Oh, that's so late this year. Well, like. So late. We've got one season to tide us over from august until whenever witch queen comes out january yeah we assume january anyway but yeah we don't know but no like i anyway i assume um, that uh daily reset is gonna happen and you know out with the old season and while you're waiting here's the showcase yeah but hey um yeah witch queen hooray Destiny 2 Showcase. Also, the little, like, lady statue fits really nicely in the thing now. <laughs> so, all the statues that you've been upskirting in Deepstone Crypt, like, fits really nicely in that little, like, witch queen, witch queen emblem that they have on their website now. I knew it was going so that's there. That's really great. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, you know that's what I'm going to do. Been doing it since the beginning. Um, let's see what else. Um, you can donate to the Bungie Foundation until the twentieth of July. Um, for new emblem and an old emblem, and it really helps the kids. Um, the Bungie Foundation buys iPads for kids in hospital, and they've been doing that for years now. And uh, it's a really cool uh, thing that they do. So if you have the money to donate, uh, please do. And th they take donations through the year. You don't have to do it for Bungie Day. But it's a really nice um, thing that they do with the foundation. And they have other things that they do as well. But this is a really big um, project that they do. Yeah. The iPads for kids. So um, there are some really nice like in-game things that you get as well for your donation. You They have a really cool like tiny tanks uh, emote that you can get. And there is a cool little balloon shell, ghost shell. That um, it's like a it's like a poofy ghost shell. That's really neat. Um, that's for a $50 donation. The $75 one is the tiny tanks. So it's like your guardian playing with a little tiny tank. It's very cool. Um, but you get two emblems for donating $25. And that is um, freedom dollars. It's not um, dollar dues or Canadian dollars. Those are loonies. So, is that loonies? Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> I was going to call it upstairs dollars, but yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the last thing, uh, turning your Vanguard tokens... Your um your Zavala Vanguard tokens that no one ever turns in because uh everything he gives you is trash. Uh do that before August twenty fourth, which is as Alamus has said, the start of the new season. 
which I had no idea until just now. Um, I'm getting PTSD from Crucible token turn-ins. I'm going to have to turn on Netflix again. Because <laughs> I have so many! But, like, at least they told us so far in advance that it could be like, oh, hey, turn in a package every time you go into the tower and you'll be done by... <sighs> you know. So, like... Or I could just delete them. <laughs> well, yeah. Be done with it. But then I won't get all those like enhancement cores. Right. You'll be missing out I on want those enhancement cores and, and shards and all those, all those God, all those shards I could be getting and gunsmith material. Gunsmith. Did you know that I deleted <laughs> two entire stacks of gunsmith materials the other day because I needed the space in my vault and you get enough blues that i'm pretty sure you made one of those stacks back up i did pretty much thank yeah. you solstice packages <laughs> right <laughs> why do they give us blues and solstice packages just give us the legendary shards guys i don't understand I don't. Well, and, and I really don't understand. The, the thing I don't understand is why is there two currencies for an event? I don't know. You have to grind out one currency in order to use the other one. It's like, it, wh why not just have us get like the the keys and then turn those into Ava for packages? You know. You know what. Why do we have to make synth strand to make synth cord? Oh my god! To make synth weave on each character. Don't even get me started. Why on is that. it character locked? Don't. Why is it different color on each character? Don't even get me started why on that one. Does it not? Why is it not shared across each character? Why is it different per character? Why is my my synth weave not the same for my hunters and my titans and my warlocks? Explain that away, please. The thing that gets me is that the synth cord <laughs> is a completely useless currency. Uh-huh. Because, like, you do the bounty to get the cord and turn that in to get the weave. Like, uh -huh. that's an unneeded step. It is. But what would Ada be if she didn't do unneeded steps? May I remind right. you of picking up the glowy boxes where you would finish the, like, finishing your frame... And then you'd have to go back to her to make it a shiny frame, which you'd then have to go take the shiny frame to go charge it. Yeah. Unneeded step. I know, Toki. I know. It is an unneeded step. I know. Even Toki's irritated. He's like, meow. <laughs> I know. And no, uh, like, I. That I too. <laughs> There's a lot about that system that I'm just like, why? Toki remembers the days. He remembers the forges. Anyway, how about we go to a lore network again? Yeah. Because we have some really cool stories on some solstice armor to talk about and not 
reliving the horror of the forge system that's been brought forward into you know yeah the, the since we've system yeah let's mm-hmm. the lore network Have you ever wished that someone could just read you the lore? Destiny Lore Audiophile may be just the podcast you've been looking for. Join us as we bring the stories of Destiny to life, with straight readings of your favorite lore, with no analysis or commentary, or as we breathe life into these tales with acting, sound effects, and music. Currently, you can find Destiny Lore Audiophile on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes, at Destiny Lore Audiophile. Audiophile is spelled with a PH instead of an F. You can find both readings and radio dramatizations of selected lore books and web lores by talented voice actors from the Destiny community. Episode releases will be announced from our Twitter pages, at Hey It's Orchid and at Rendell Zivas. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single performance. See you there. about that lore network ad so good so clean <laughs> so good not like toki toki's covered it outside a chew <laughs> got grass jizz all over him oh god it's like it's called pollen but grass jizz i i do not like do not like no i'm gonna get all itchy God damn it. That's what I get for letting my cats outside. <laughs> anyway, um, these lore books are all different. So the Solstice Armor, if you've not read them yet or had the chance to peep at your armor as you've been collecting them, because this is just the beginning of Solstice, so you might not have collected all of your purple armor yet. They're all very different. Um, each class has a different kind of story to tell. And... Um, these entries are all found on the purple armor obtained from the 2021 Solstice of Heroes. Not the 2020, not the 2019, but the 2021 Solstice of Hero armor. And not the 2022. No, we've not gotten there yet. I do not have a TARDIS. <laughs> I cannot travel forward in time. And... You know, I feel like we've already lost like an entire year of our lives. Like if you told right. me it was 2022, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> right. But for a second, I would totally believe you. <laughs> I'd be really sad about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Please yeah. don't do that to me. Don't be that person. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to start this off. All right, please. Please do. Thank you. And this is on the hunter, the Illuminous Mask, Majestic. The Lord Tab reads, Ido crept on all sixes through the massive halls of the Dreaming City. She was following an indistinct murmur, both terrifying and compelling. A thousand voices, all muttering to themselves. How did she get here? She peered around the corner of a massive archway. Beyond she found a circular chamber with an elaborate sigil carved into the stone floor. 
three awoken figures stood at precise intervals along the carved seal. The chamber was without a ceiling. The void of space yawned overhead. Spiraling galaxies seemed to fill the room. Ido realized that she wasn't breathing. Was she dead? Suddenly, Ido stood in the center of the sigil. She turned in a circle, trying to identify the looming figures, but their faces were vast and unknowable, like the void above. She felt the weight of their focus, as if she were falling in all directions at once. She looked down and discovered with horror that the ground was receding. She was floating upwards into the vacuum of space. The figures paid her no attention as she drifted away. As the chamber fell away beneath her, the murmur condensed and merged until it unified into a single panicked wail. Ido awoke to find the scream coming from her own mouth. Miss Rax crouched next to her pallet, wringing his lower hands in concern. Be calm, young one. Be calm. You are Ido. You are in the one true now. You are safe. He gave her a sip of ether from his own meager reserve and waited patiently until she quieted. Tell me of your journey, he prompted intently. She explained her experience as best a hatchling could. Miss Rex nodded gravely. The Techians, advisors to our hosts, they are like scribes for the Awoken. He sat, thinking quietly. I know you are frightened, but I am confident this is a blessing, he decided. All great things appear first as monsters. There may be a day, he continued, when you are seen as a monster, and your blessing is frightening to those who cannot understand it. When that time comes, remember this moment. Ido nodded, though she didn't fully understand. How could a hatchling be a monster? I, too, am sometimes frightened by the Techians, Miss Rex confided. But we must look beyond our fear to find the light. This is courage. Can you show courage? Ido nodded again. You can. I'm sure of it, Miss Rex said proudly. The light provides. The light provides, Ido murmured as she lay back down to a peaceful slumber. I like this. It's cute. I mean, we know it is. I mean, we know where she is um, in the Dreaming City. Like, she, um, like, do we actually know where she is? I don't. I figured it was the, uh, the blind well. I thought she was, yeah. But we don't know that for certain. Well, maybe not like galaxies. I was thinking at first she was um with the what is it called? The it's an ossuary. Is that what it is? Uh, what the the queen's throne room no. or something? Yeah, it's definitely not an ossuary. What? I have no idea. Uh, I don't know what it's called. 
Well, you're gonna have to cut this part out because I think of, I can't think of the name of it. Well, while you're figuring that out, uh, so we see that Ido essentially had a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And Mithrax. An orrery. That's what it is. Gotcha. Yeah. And Mithrax woke her up and calmed her down and then got her back to sleep. Like, I really enjoy this entry. It's cute. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's really nice. And especially, like, during a season that it was completely dark. Mm-hmm. This is bringing a lot of, of that relief. I also like seeing um, Mithrax, like, in the father figure mm-hmm. position we know him to be. Um, because, like, we know that he raised her. And that, like, he's her father. Yeah. But, like, we, until now, we haven't really seen that um, in lore that we've read. Um, like, we've seen that kind of in-game, like, in recorded, um, like, the recorded Ido. Yeah, in I the guess. Ido recordings in the, uh, yeah, like the Vasa district. In the, mm-hmm, but we haven't really seen that in, like, the, the written lore. So it's kind of nice to see that in this, like, like actually as like the father. And it's it's really nice. Yeah. Like he's very he's very tender and it's sweet. And attentive. You know? He's very attentive. Like he has that that connection with her that um I don't know. He's not a shitty dad. He didn't go out for cigarettes and didn't come back. <laughs> oh my god, what? No, he didn't. Exactly. That's a really low bar that he didn't do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Am I reading the next one? Yeah. Let's see if he goes out for cigarettes and leaves and doesn't come back at this next one. My Lord. <laughs> Such a low bar. Yeah. God. Okay. These are the Illuminous Grasps. Majestic. Do we need to say majestic every time? Can we just assume that it's majestic? Everything is majestic in this, guys. (laughs) We're all majestic here. All right, these are the Illuminous Grasps. Ido recoiled as the spindly claws of the splicer gauntlet snapped and jerked. When her father wore it, the damned thing always moved smoothly, as if it were his own fingers. But attached to the end of her arm, it seemed possessed by a life of its own. Miss Rack's considerable patience was beginning to wear thin. No, Ido, no. Splicing is not about thinking. It's about feeling. Feel the energy flow from the ground, through your legs, up your torso, and out through your arm. His arms wove circular patterns in the air as if gently wafting smoke upwards. The movement of the gauntlet is the continuation of a motion that begins deep in the heart of the planet where it keeps its light. Ido sighed. Miss Rex was intent on passing the way of the splicer to his daughter, 
but after three days of attempts without the barest sight of success, they were both becoming frustrated. Ida was eager to learn, to live up to her father's skills, but the harder she tried, the more violently the gauntlet seemed to reject her. Ida took several deep breaths and extended her mind's eye through the ground, deep into the well of light at the center of the planet. She followed the light through the firmament, up through her body and into the gauntlet. It whirred smoothly to life. Yes, just so, Miss Rax encouraged her. Now feel the light extend from the gauntlet into the shank. Feel its code lying dormant. It is sleeping, waiting for you to wake it. Ido extended the gauntlet. A surge of energy shot forth from its claws, sending crackles of electricity rippling across the shank's surface. In her shock, Ido jerked the gauntlet away, which severed the connection. The electricity sparked for an instant longer, then went still. A small plume of smoke issued forth from deep within the shank. Ido didn't need Miss Rax to tell her that she had just fried the main circuit net. Miss Rax took a moment to compose himself before speaking. This is a good lesson. When one focuses on the metal, the form of the machine, and not... Miss Rax Kill, Father, Ido interrupted. This is not... I don't want... She fought her emotions for control of her voice. Mr. X waited for his daughter to compose herself. I am not a splicer, she finally said. I am certain of it. I know this is a disappointment to you, but the gauntlet has spoken. She pulled the spiteful mechanism off her arm and held it out. Mr. X took it reluctantly. I am sorry that you will not follow me in the way of the splicer. However, he continued. It is a far greater thing to know what you are and what you are not. He lifted all four of his palms toward her as a sign of respect. Self-knowledge is the rarest skill of all and not commonly found in one so young. Ida was filled with relief and gratitude for her lesson. I like that. Mithrax yeah. is telling her that it's all right to fail as long as you realize that that's not you know if it's not something for you it's all right to admit that Mm -hmm. and i like that because that's that's something that a lot of people tend to forget yeah i know i forget it on a regular basis yeah i do too Mm -hmm. but but yeah uh we see mithrax trying to teach Ido, the ways of the splicer, and after several days of frustrating lessons, she gives up. And it's it's not so much that she's, you know, giving up. It's more of just like she realizes that that's not her. Mm-hmm. And, and then we get Mithrax telling her, you know, I, I'm sorry it's not for you. Right. But it's good that you know that he's such a good father i think also um he must be feeling like incredible like disappointment he yeah like i i can definitely see that he's disappointed Mm -hmm. but 
and and that's primarily because if you see like if you want a child to follow in your footsteps and they realize that your footsteps aren't for them like i can see that being a disappointment but Mm -hmm. at the same time mithrax is is looking at this and he's like all right you know what forge your own path right but good for him for for being i think also for treating her like an adult a lot of adults wouldn't do that so it's really good that he did well and and at this point we don't even know how old she is but he did call her young so yeah yeah definitely all right all right i'll be covering the illuminous vest majestic the guardian was resplendent their armor gleamed even in the dull gloom of the european night the golden scroll work of their breastplate glowed as if the light itself imbued the metal it was beautiful the broken forms of dead and dying elixni littered the battlefield each bearing the symbol for the house of salvation Blood and ether seeped across the ice, freezing into rich stains. The guardians strolled casually from body to body, searching for ammunition and weaponry. Ido had watched the battle through a viewfinder from atop a far-off ridgeline. Even at this distance, the brutality was hard to countenance. She glanced quizzically at Miss Rex, who crouched beside her. These were the guardians her father trusted? As if sensing her reservation, Miss Rex spoke. The guardians are capable of mercy, though they seldom show it. Then why does the great machine bless them? Ido asked. Is it not better to be merciful? The darkness is coming, Miss Rex replied wearily. Nearer now than ever before. Perhaps mercilessness is exactly what the great machine needs. I like this one. It's nice and short. And also, um, it's, we've, this season and last season especially, we've seen um, perspectives from both the Cabal and from um, from the Elixni of Guardians. And seeing guardians taken from the other side. Um, and a lot of it has been like the brutality of guardians. And especially yeah. when you don't fear death, like we take a lot of chances because we know we're, oh, well, we're just going to come back. So whatever. Right. Like we're just like, we just run straight in and just YOLO everything. Fuck. Because <laughs> like, like, if I have protective light on, like, I'm just like, man, <laughs> like, right. I'll just run in. Like, if I'm charged with light, I, I don't care. <laughs> like, and, and, that's, um, and that's exactly it. Like, I, I think the sentence here that had the most impact for me was the Guardian mm-hmm. strolled casually from body to body searching for ammunition and weaponry. Mm-hmm. We do that regularly. Oh, yeah. Like, 
if a legendary You're looking for heavy all the time. If a legendary engram yeah. or heavy or an exotic drops, like mm-hmm. we're rushing over bodies to go get that. Oh yeah, if heavy drops and I'm in a nightfall and I need it, cover me. I need that heavy. <laughs> like, no, wait, stop. Like, I'm not gonna stop. Like, I need that fucking heavy. Exactly. Like, like that's no, I need that heavy now. Like, that's exactly <laughs> it though. Like it's, yeah. it's the fact that you, that guardians are strolling over bodies. Mm-hmm. It's it's brutal if you stop and think yeah. about it. Like I um perhaps mercilessness is exactly what the great machine needs. Like perhaps it is. Yeah. But at the same time, like I mean, we're just it's rather callous the way we are. I do stop and think about it sometimes just because that's the way I am. Like I'll sit like I'll sit with my my guardian will sit behind a rock and I'll just kind of giggle to myself like, yeah, I just killed like 40, you know, you know, X. I just insert killed 40, enemies here. 40 knights. 40 cabal. Yeah. I just killed 40 cabal like giggle giggle. <laughs> like like that's really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something really silly. Yeah. Anyway, but I'm going to read this next one. Are you ready for it? I'm never ready. Let's do this. Oh, God. This is the Illuminous Strides. Majestic. They may reject you, Mr. Axborn. The Tecunes are not welcoming to outsiders. I understand, the scribe replied. But even if they refuse me instruction, I might still get access to their data archives. That alone would be a lifetime's worth of knowledge. You do not have a lifetime to study, Mr. Axborn. We must rejoin the Elixni soon. They will need guidance. We must reach them while there are still some left to help. I will learn as much as I can, as quickly as I can. The scribe turned her palms downward in a show of fealty. Miss Rex paused, wishing to prolong the moment. I recall a time, he reminisced, when you were just a hatchling. The Tekunes visited you in the night. You woke up screaming. I recall it well, the scribe replied. To tell the truth, they still frightened me but we must look beyond our fear to find the light. In that moment, Miss Rack saw her anew. The scribe shone with a brightness he had never seen before, a mixture of joyful optimism and grim determination. She has finally found her path to the light, he thought. I am proud to have such a brave scribe as a daughter, he said in a break of formality. Thank you, Ido replied, surprised by his tone. I'm lucky to have such a wise cow for my father. Aw. Aw, that's so nice. Right. Aw, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> that's so nice. That's so sweet. And, and, like, this is just such a good conversation. 
mm-hmm. you know, Mithrax and and Ido are talking about like Ido getting access to at least their the Atekians data archives and Myth Mithrax is like, you know. I remember a time when the Techians scared you so much that you had a nightmare. And he starts reminiscing as a proud father. And it's just, it's a cute entry. It's just like, it just like fills your heart, kind of. It does. And there are so few entries that do that these days. Right. Like, so few entries that do that. I'm going to be like, really cheesy and say I really like this entry just because of that. It makes me feel real good. So, I like it just because of that. Oh, I I completely agree. Yeah. I like it just for that reason. Should I continue on? Yeah. And this is going to finish up the Hunter set with the Illuminous Cloak. Majestic. And all of the houses respected their decisions? Ido asked, dubious. Yes, Varix replied. It was so agreed by all of Rees. The old scribe traced his fingers along the data pad, deciphering notes that hadn't been accessed in decades. But didn't all the other houses fight amongst each other, disputing their decisions? Ido leaned forward fascinated by the idea of one house accruing so much political sway without resorting to violence. To dispute the House of Judgment was to dispute all Elixni houses, Variks explained. It was the voice of the Elixni united. Ido puzzled over this. The idea of mediation was not new to her. Misrex often solved problems between house members without violence. But the idea of organizing a whole society using that method was novel. So, it was the ruling house, Ido concluded. Varix clicked his mandibles in annoyance. No! The House of Judgment was both above and below all other houses. It was both Kel and Dreg. Its authority came from humility. Ido had only ever known of scribes as political animals, power brokers and go-betweens like Varix. But the idea of scribes as neutral parties, dedicated to peace and knowledge, was enticing. This is why the old scribes pursued knowledge relentlessly. They sought it from uncommon sources, Varix continued. Their knowledge was overwhelming and unyielding. So, when a scribe of house judgment decided, all Elixni respected it. They knew that nothing was left unconsidered. Ido nodded raptly. For the first time, she imagined peace, not just as aspiration, but as a practice and a vocation. The idea blossomed with her. I like this because it's giving her ideas. Yeah. And it's like you can see the the wheels turning. 
Well, and, and like... In her at the end. And, like, I wonder if this is why she became scribe. I mean, she became a scribe in the last one. Right. Like... But, like, this could be the reason why she did it. Or this could be more of a, you know, Mithrax is like, hey, since you're not a splicer, you know, this is something else you could do. And especially if she's inquisitive enough, which she sounds like she is. And then to actually talk to Varix about it and get his understanding of it. Like, it's lighting that fire. This leads me to think that maybe it's taking the idea of a scribe and then, like, pushing it to, like, new heights or, like, a new direction. So it's like, yeah, you can be a scribe and, like, remember our histories and... You know, all those things, but you can also, you know, be the person that's the go-between for, um, for guardians and, um, you can be the, like, the person that talks to the guardians for the Elixni or the person that, because she seems to have written down a lot of the histories for guardians and not necessarily, you know, for the Elixni. So it, she could have taken scribes in like a completely different direction. Yeah. So she's she's imagining peace in a different direction. I can see that. So she's it's like she's brokering peace in a different way. I can see that. Because she's in in her way, she's brokering peace in like a you don't understand us. So if I explain the way the Elixni are and how we operate and you know the way we as like house light are, then maybe like you can be more peaceful with us if you just understand us because no one's taken the time to explain us. Yeah, you know and and fear is usually bred by the unknown. Right. So, but I, um, this is great. But also, yeah, we get Varix. <laughs> yes. God. Freaking Varix. Freaking Varix. I love Varix. Mm hmm. Yep. So that was the end of the Hunter set. Um, now, the Titan set uh, are different. The Titan set are more reports of things that Ido has seen uh, as she's gone around and been with humans, if that makes sense. They're her observations as scribe. Yes. Yes, yes. So, in that respect, I will read the first one, which is the Sunstead Helm. Majestic. Today I witnessed a human mating ritual that I had only seen tangentially referred to in the Techian archives. It involves two humans pressing their intake orifices against each other. It is most often brief, but more advanced forms involve the use of their mastication organs and the exchange of the mild digestive secretions. I witnessed two young adults touching orifices in this manner for some time. They were quite enthralled by it and proceeded for several minutes, stopping only when they noticed me taking notes. 
Okay, I know be creeping. Right? Awkward. She watching two people French kissing. Yeah. I mean, hot. But don't get caught. Well, and and so this entry makes it understandable that like it it, it makes it known that kissing is a foreign concept to the elixni. I mean, they know well, of... they've got like pointy noses and no lips and like very sharp teeth. Right. And like they know that mm-hmm. they they have mating rituals because they understand them and and how else are you going to get babies? But human mating rituals are still like weird to them to the point that she's documenting it yeah i just love like this is such a meme almost like i love this right i almost want a drawing of this just like her standing around a corner just like watching two people making out so funny see you're you're saying that she's around a corner just watching it like i see these two people on a bench somewhere making out and she's standing in plain view just writing down Oh, see, now I'm picturing it as, like, they're, like, leaning up against, like, a dirty wall in, like, an alleyway, and she's hanging upside down like Spider-Man, just, like, (laughs) (laughs) like, like, spider hanging somehow, like, with a notebook, (laughs) watching them that way. Okay, that's a better one. I like that one. Yeah. Uh Um, Uh-huh. I mean, like, I know, obviously, they they can't web-sling, because like that's impossible, but in my no, mind they like, can. <laughs> but it's but, funnier like, if that a way. There's a fire escape. She can hang uh-huh. from you know her legs yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm gonna continue on with the Sunstead Gauntlets, majestic. Okay. Uh huh. Today, another misunderstanding resulted in conflict. Clyfix, a young engineer, was tasked with repairing our shank. The machine was damaged during the escape from Europa, and we needed her advanced diagnostics capabilities. Clyfix repaired what he could, and then set about searching for replacement parts. He identified a pile of scrap that served our purpose, and started fashioning the needed parts. While Clyfix was working, a human emerged from a nearby dwelling and began shouting at him. Clyfix didn't understand the man's words, but he understood the angry tone, so he took the needed scrap and fled. As it so happened, Clyfix took scrap pieces that were the parts to a vintage sparrow that the man was intending to rebuild. Clyfix never considered such a thing, because on a catch, scrap is a shared resource. The idea of hoarding scrap for some imagined purpose is strange, indeed, to the elixni, the spider notwithstanding. Luckily, Clyfix told me his tale, and I worked with Ikora to repay the man. Crisis was averted, and Clyfix learned an important lesson. To humans, control over a thing is often more valuable than the thing itself. Oh, that's so true sometimes right sometimes in like a world where you don't have 
Or your entire life is falling apart. Let's say. Like. I don't know. Like, let's say there's an internal darkness over your city. And, you know, suddenly the race of aliens that have been trying to kill you for, you know, 500 years suddenly moved in next door to you. Um, the only thing that you have control over is this pile of scrap because you've been trying to, like, rebuild this old sparrow. And that's the only thing you have control over. So if that's the only thing you have control over your life, that is suddenly the most important thing in your entire world. Yeah. And and, that's- and sometimes that's what you need to, like, stay sane. Yeah. You know? And sometimes that's all you can do to to just keep it together. Yeah. And it's it's a weird concept to the Elixney because they've been scavengers for so long. And they don't have any actual, like, established areas. You know, they don't have any, any homes or anything aside from catches or skiffs. Yeah. So it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah. I think like outside of ships, that's everything is kind of everybody's. Yeah. As far as we know, they might have like trinkets that belong to some people. Like I, I think we read um, in an earlier book last season about um, some like musical instruments that belonged to somebody. Um. Or to a family that was found. But that was a while ago, so I don't really remember. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So poor Clyfix. Right? Poor guy. Mm-hmm. Just trying to do his work, getting yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> like every day. Right? Clyfix just trying to do his job. He's trying to do my job. All right. I'm going to read this next one. Okay. Let's see. This is the Sunstead Plate. Majestic. Today I viewed the crucible through a feed spliced by one of Miss Rex Kell's apprentices. It was a shocking and horrifying experience. A record of that feed can be found in the addendum of this report. I had seen the crucible referenced in the records of the cryptarchs, who have been most welcoming and eager to exchange data. Historically, the crucible was a trial by combat, similar to the cabal right of proving. It was a neutral ground for parties to engage in violence without civilian casualties. However, over centuries it evolved into a blood sport practiced for combat experience, commerce, and enjoyment. However, no amount of study could prepare one for the depravity of the actual event. Humans immolate each other, melting flesh beneath unpenetrated armor. They drive swords through each other's faces, reveling in the creation of deformity. They unleash bursts of void and darkness, consuming each other's bodies with anti-life. The amount of precious ammunition that goes wasted in every match would be punishable by docking in some Elixney houses. After the arbitrary conditions for victory have been met, the messengers of the great machine emerge. 
they resurrect the dead who then sulk off the field as if eternal life were nothing compared to the loss of a sporting match. And then the whole practice begins again. The experience has made me wary of our new hosts. They are much more like the cabal than I had imagined. Humans clearly have the capacity for peace, but they seem to prefer violence. And as long as the great machine blesses them, violence will be their way. That's very true. This speaks to me on such a visceral level. <laughs> that's that's kind of why I thought it was fitting that you were getting the Crucible one. Oh, that I read the Crucible one? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> when I saw I got this one, I'm like, oh, this is me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I sulk off the field. Oh. <laughs> uh... I played a bunch of Crucible today before we recorded, and I was like, yep, there was some sulking to be had. It was a lot of like, fuck you, Yoden! Oh, God. Fucking Yoden! Uh, yeah, this is, this is a very, like, this is an interesting study of the Crucible. Well, and like it's a like written by somebody who doesn't understand the crucible. Well, and and it's written by somebody who only has one life. So the idea yeah. of immortals just ha going at it in a crucible like that, like I can understand it it being weird, and especially with with how the crucible is, you know, like it says, humans immolate each other, melting flesh beneath unpenetrated armor, it, like. Yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, getting trapped in like a void grenade or um, getting unicorned by like a pulse grenade, or I mean, getting like celestial fire to the face will definitely melt it off, or just like slide shot getting like that'll end you pretty quickly, yeah. I mean, all of this, like, I'm just like, I'm just in my mind, I'm just thinking of like how quickly a, a round can go, you know? Right. Like it can go so quickly depending on like who you're running with or like how well they work together. Like a team that's like, that's working really well together, that's really aggressive can go very quickly. Yeah, you know, it's it's six people who have flawless versus six people who uh only have dredgen. Yeah, like that's that's gonna go really well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's gonna go really poorly for one team. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Those poor flawless <laughs> people had no idea. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they had no idea. They had to bank those moats. <laughs> Uh, <gasps> Do you want to read the next one? Yeah, and that's the sorry, and that's the Sunstead Greaves Majestic. Today, another misunderstanding resulted in joy. Cliffix, a young engineer, watched a human struggle with a large machine. No matter what she did, it continued to billow a thick, oily smoke. Curious, Cliffix waited until the human gave up in frustration. After the streets were dark, Clyfix examined the machine himself. 
determined to earn the human's trust, Clyfix stole the machine and took it back to House Light. He worked through the night to repair it, using our scrap as a gesture of goodwill. When morning came, Clyfix returned the machine and watched from afar, eager to see the woman's excitement. She turned it on and watched in astonishment as it rolled smoothly down the road. It still emitted traces of smoke, but at least it moved. To Clyfix's chagrin, the woman flew into a rage. As I later learned, producing smoke was the machine's whole purpose, something to do with the curing of animal flesh. I myself am still not certain of the details. Although the machine no longer produces smoke in the appropriate manner, it now travels upwards of 20 kilometers per hour on very little fuel. The neighborhood children have been riding it along the street all day. I even saw them gathering supplies to add a steering system. In the end, Clyfix and I agreed that it's a great thing he's done. Oh, Clyfix, what have you done? He took a smoker. Yeah. And turned, <laughs> turned it, it into a go-kart. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, Clyfix, you genius. <laughs> I mean, like, the smoker was probably important. <laughs> they need to eat. But, like... Oh, that's funny. Right, like he took a smoker and turned it into a go kart. What? I, I don't know how. Uh, I mean, like I can see it in my mind. Like, oh, right? Yeah. But like, still, Clifex is a genius. Like, right? Clifex straight up is a genius. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I love this entry. This is funny. And I just, I love the fact that it's Clyfix again. Like, they're building him as a specific character. Give me more Clyfix. I want more Clyfix in this. Oh, what if they're just going to add a bunch of, like, lore tabs throughout the, the next several seasons of just, like, Clyfix working on machines that he had no idea what the actual intent was? Oh no, what if Clyfix was the Elixni that worked on the thing that had the Vanguard card that got no, killed? No, he didn't get killed. He did not get killed. I'm choosing to read it that way. He didn't get killed. What if that was Clyfix though? Oh, I hope not. Oh wait, it couldn't be. If this was in order since destiny is in like order of weeks and it goes by real time release and it goes by real time it couldn't be exactly right exactly so it couldn't be clifex so it couldn't be so we're all fine crisis averted it's not (laughs) clifex who got murdered it's just some other elixity that <laughs> it was a terrible horrible travesty <laughs> you can sleep fine tonight Elvis. it's just some other guy 
and I'm I'm still choosing to believe that you know he he didn't get murdered. I thought they just tortured him, and you're like, no, like he died. No, I never said died. What? I said they had a bag full of his body parts. That's just worse. That's worse. That's worse. Anyway. That's so worse. I'm sorry. That's just, that's the worst. I'm going to. Yes, please. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this next one. Yes, please. This is a Sunstead Mark. Still majestic. Today I witnessed a human ritual that I long thought a myth, or at least over-researched relative to its cultural impact. That is, the ingestion of ethanol to induce euphoria and knowingly hinder judgment. When I first learned of this practice in the Techune's data archives, it seemed preposterous. Why would a predominantly aqueous creature willingly ingest a substance that caused its body to purge liquid? What was the goal? Today I discovered the answer. Partying. Based on my observations near community ethanol distribution centers, partying is a distinctly human form of enjoyment. It is similar to many elixni celebrations, a social gathering meant to foster group cohesion. But the human version involves collective self-poisoning, for which there is no parallel in elixni society. Apparently, partying involves a loose constellation of behaviors, speaking much more loudly than normal, making an increased amount of bodily contact, the purging of partially digested food, walking in eccentric patterns, expressions of fondness, increased laughter, public displays of sorrow, and coordinated yelling to previously recorded sounds. Having witnessed the prevalence of ethanol consumption in the last city, I can safely conclude that, if anything, the behavior is under-researched. Humans' fondness for poisoning themselves is prolific. It's a wonder their species has lasted this long. I admit to curiosity as to the perceived effects of ethanol consumption because it cannot feel as terrible as it looks. However, I am reluctant to engage in human partying because I'm not sure an elixni could survive it. <laughs> that is super funny. Oh my god. Also, I read it like a science paper, which makes it funnier. Right. <laughs> um. That's how I read science papers, by the way. <laughs> I just, I just love, like the explanations of everything that happens like you know speaking much more loudly than normal making an increased amount of bodily contact the purging of partially digested food walking in eccentric patterns expressions of fondness i love that increased expressions of fondness increased laughter public displays of sorrow and coordinated yelling to previously recorded sounds. Like, it's the Elixney's 
way of literally saying like drinking leads to talking loud mm-hmm. increased bodily contact mm-hmm. vomiting yep stumbling over stumbling <laughs> declaring love for everyone it's true increased laughter increased uh yeah like public displays of sorrow like that's just crying in public that's crying a lot i was in a sorority this is true the number of girls that would just like drink and then cry a lot holy shit jeez that's like a fourth of my sorority Mm mm-hmm I've seen it. It's weird. Yeah. And but this is very funny. This is just like I swear to God, Bungie was just like, okay, so um, guys, when you drink, what are things that you do? Oh, you cry a lot. Okay, we're writing that down. Um, yeah, you stumble. Cool. All right. Uh, what do you do? Karaoke. Uh, you vomit a lot. Karaoke. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We're writing all this down. <laughs> That's the one that stuck out to me. Coordinated yelling to previously recorded sounds. Karaoke. Karaoke. Yeah. I love it. That's great. <laughs> oh, man. She is reluctant to engage in human partying because she's not sure an Elixney could survive it. Damn right. Might be right. Might be right. Humans party pretty hard. I am too old to party, guys. I'm way too old to party. As we said in the beginning, I'm the one who brings the iPad and wants to sit in the closet. Or I'll go find the the pet. I'll go sit with the pet. Yeah. I'll make a beeline for the dog. Or the cat. Woof, woof. Or the the goose. Is there a pet goose? <laughs> I'll go chase the goose outside. Oh, God. You want to read the next one? Yeah. Yeah. If there's a goose, I'll go chase the goose. Before we get completely sidetracked. Uh, So that finished out the Titan set, and we are jumping into Uh the Warlock set now. Yeah. Oh, the Warlock set, um, these are different. These are stories. Yes. These are bedtime stories for the the, the, the Smallen. Yes. These are Smallen bedtime stories that are on the Warlock set. The Warlock set, I think, have the best stories, but these were the um, Titans that were all really good, too. I know. These are all really good. God damn it. These are all these were super good this year. God, these are all really good. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, go ahead. So this is the Celestine Hood Majestic. The Hungriest Thrall. Ida looked over the heads of the assembled hatchlings to the great machine above. She marveled at its magnificence. Whole civilizations had been raised to the ground in its wake, even the Elixni once. She turned her attention back to the hatchlings. Did you know that the hive do not have spirit? She asked. The hatchlings looked at her quizzically. It's true, she continued. Hive have worms, big, slimy, wriggling worms inside them. Ido flexed her fingers, causing the hatchlings in the front row to recoil. She lowered her voice ominously. And the worms are always hungry. They force the hive to eat more and more and more. 
they are never satisfied, no matter how much the hive feed them. That's why the hive will eat anything, even little hatchlings like you! Ido snapped at them, causing shrieks of dismay. Some think the hive will eat the whole galaxy, she said, turning her gaze back to the great machine. And when there's nothing left, they'll have to eat each other. They'll feast and feast until there's just one lonely thrall who will have to eat himself. And then there will be nothing, Ido concluded softly. Just like in the beginning, the hatchlings were silent. Ido was suddenly very tired. Good story. <laughs> These are so good. Good story. I love it. Even little hatchlings like you. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But that also raises the question, like, what if the hive actually do what they set out to do? Like, if they fi- achieve that, that final shape, like, what is going to happen to the hive? Right. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows indeed? You want to continue? I would love to. This is the Celestine Gloves. Still majestic. The six-armed hatchling. Ido gathered the hatchlings around her. It was late in the day, and she was reluctant to let them roam the streets at night. So she enticed them back to camp with the promise of old Elixni legends. There was once a hatchling, she began, once they had quieted down, who was born with six arms. Ido used her upper arms to point out the spot below her lower arms, and all of his clutchmates mocked him for it. The hatchlings murmured knowingly. Many of them had experienced mocking. When the hatchling became old enough, he competed against his siblings for ether and status in his house. He was not as clever or as strong as his clutchmates, even with an extra pair of arms. So the kell of his house declared him a dreg. The hatchlings nodded knowingly. They had heard stories of dregs, too, even if Misrax had outlawed the practice in house light. But, Edo continued, her tone lifting, when it came time for the kell of his house to dock his lowest arms, the hatchling rejoiced. She threw her hand up in celebration, for he had an extra pair of arms to give. That day, he became the only dreg in his house with four arms, and he was proud. I like that. Yeah. These are like little fables. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I... That's I, nice. Right. Like, it's it's a fable to teach the elixir, you know, be happy with who you are. Right. Even if, you know, situations change who you are, still be happy with who you are. Mm-hmm. I think definitely. I can appreciate that. I'm going to continue on with the Celestine robes. Majestic. The smallest scribe. 
Ida loomed over the group of hatchlings, her face lit only by the glow of the ether tank's control panel. The hatchlings gripped each other's hands in fear and huddled together for safety. The scribe continued her tale. There once was a screeb, the smallest screeb in his clutch. He fought for his share of dark ether, but his stronger siblings often got more than he did. The hatchlings muttered in sympathy. He dreamed of one day killing a guardian and showing his siblings that he was strong. Little, but strong. Ido flexed her lower arms menacingly. One day, a guardian came to their lair, hoping to steal their precious dark ether. The hatchlings glanced in worry at the nearby ether tank as Ido continued. Fick Rulkel ordered the Screebs to attack. Finally! The smallest Screeb had a chance to prove his worth. Ida leaned forward, narrowing her eyes. The smallest Screeb charged forward, unafraid. Even as his siblings were shot down, all around him. He launched himself at the Guardian, and BOOM! The scribe shouted, clapping both pairs of hands. The hatchlings jumped and chittered in fear. Ida lowered her voice to a whisper. The littlest Screeb exploded right against the Guardian's glowing golden armor. He succeeded in his mission. But, Ido continued, shaking her head in mock sadness, the Guardian didn't even notice. The Screeb was too small, and his explosion made no difference. No difference at all. Wow. Right? I mean... What does that teach us? <laughs> that screams are shit. <laughs> well, but like, so I, I think... Don't run out from like the group of your... Well, I, I don't think this one is more of a fable. I think it's more of just a ghost story, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess it, you can learn from it, like, don't run out from like the group. If all your ship, if all your siblings are being shot down all around you, maybe don't keep going. That's, I, that's I, just my thing. I think it's more of like. Also, screams suck. It's all right to try and prove yourself, but don't do it at your own sacrifice. Also, screams suck. Fuck you, screams. No <laughs> one likes you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with fuck you, Screebs. No one likes you. That's what I learned from yeah. this. Yeah. You ready to move on? Yes. This one is uh, Celestine Boots. Majestic. The hatchling whose mother was a catch. Ido surveyed her audience. The smallest hatchlings were beginning to doze off, leaning against the lower arms of their clutch mates but the oldest among them were eager for one more tale. There was once a hatchling, Ido began, whose mother was a catch. Several of the hatchlings exclaimed in disbelief, waking the dozing youngsters who roused to listen. Her egg was kept warm and safe inside the catch's vent shaft, and once the hatchling was ready to come out, Ido mimed breaking free of inside an egg 
The catch landed right in the middle of a battle. The hatchlings leaned forward, some clamoring over others. Awoken and Elixni traded fire, she continued, waving all four hands for emphasis. Explosions shook the ground. The banners of great houses burned. Many were lost. One hatchling let out a thin, protracted squeak. But in the middle of the battle, cleaving his way through the enemy, was a vandal. He heard the catch's call and ran towards it. When he entered the catch, he discovered the hatchling ruling the tiny fence shaft. He took the hatchling far away from the battle and raised her as his own. He taught her the ways of the light, and in time, she grew up to be a scribe for the wisest Kel in the galaxy. The older hatchlings exchanged glances and reveled in a sort of quiet joy, a shared secret. Unlike their smaller peers, they were worldly enough to make the connection between Ido and her story. Remember, she concluded, the light always provides, no matter where we come from or who our parents are. I like that. She ends up telling her story. I know's mom was a catch. <laughs> um, and this actually kind of gives us an idea of how old she is. Yes. The Awoken and Elixni traded fire. So this was before they called peace? Yes. This was the Reef Wars. Oh. Right. Well, okay then. That does give us a timeline. <laughs> right. Hey, look at that. Timeline. We love those. No way. But yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, at least we got a timeline. And in like I just I I love this story. It's a cute little story and it it's actually a throwback to the Truth Rocket lore tab. Mhm. Mm right. It's been a while since we thought about that one. Yeah. And I'm going to cover the final entry for tonight. And that is the Celestine Bond Majestic. Is it majestic? Is it really? Still majestic. Still wow. Still majestic? Oh, oh shit. Wow, majestic. <laughs> the Shank with Bad Spirit. Ido looked over the hatchlings assembled at her feet. As she scanned their rapt faces, she noticed the unrepaired shank languishing on a workbench nearby. That reminded her of a story. There was once an engineer who was the cleverest in her house, she told the hatchlings. Even more clever than Clyfix, she added. The hatchlings chittered in mirth. One day, the engineer's Kel came to her with an order. He told her to build a shank. Ido's tone conveyed the ordinariness of such a demand. A simple shank for patrolling and running diagnostics. This was an easy thing for one so clever, but the engineer was offended. Ido clenched her fists, miming indignation. She demanded to know why she should waste her time on such a simple task. I am leaving for battle soon, said the Kel, and I want the best shank in the system to guard my dwelling while I'm away. 
The hatchlings shrieked with glee at the scribe's irreverence. So the engineer set about building a shank. She was given the finest tools, the finest metals, and even a skilled assistant. Everything she could ever need. Ido's tone darkened. But inside, she was angry. She resented her duty and wished to work on something more impressive. Ido paused, watching the hatchlings for their reactions. It was always fascinating, she thought, to see which eyes held sympathy for the engineer and which did not. In time, she finished her work. The Kel left for battle, and the Shank was set to patrol the Kel's dwelling, she continued. To everyone's surprise, it bumped into walls, gave incorrect diagnostics, and often turned up in places it shouldn't. The hatchlings were wrapped. The engineer quickly realized what was wrong, Ida told him, taking on a low, conspirational tone. She had given the shank the wrong spirit. All her anger and pride had poisoned it, like dark ether poisons the scorn. Ida watched one hatchling seize the nearest hand of another. She could end the story there, but a glance at the human sentinels watching their gathering from the lip of the roof above steeled her resolve to continue. One day, she continued gravely, the poor shank got so turned around that he mistook the Kells' hatchlings as intruders and shot them dead. The hatchlings gasped. Ido imagined she saw one of the humans' faces soften in sympathy. When the Kell returned and learned what had happened, he docked all of the engineer's arms and destroyed the shank. Ido's voice was firm. The house lost their best engineer, their strongest hatchlings, and their most expensive shank, all at once. Remember, she warned, we must give our best spirit to all our tasks, even the ones we do not like. That's a good reminder of life itself. Yeah. Like... Yeah, definitely. You gotta do your work, even if you fucking hate it. Definitely. But man, that's... Man. <laughs> Way to end on a that's somber terrible. note. I know. We had such good stories, and it's like, by the way, this shank killed a bunch of children. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mithrax gets back, and he's like, calm down, Anakin. <laughs> oh, my God. Yo. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Because I can. No. Um, but yeah. Did you enjoy the topic? I did. I'm really glad that we got to do this. Like... These were really cute this year. They were. Um, like, I felt in the beginning of the season that the lore was really light. Um, like, we kind of, we, 
we kind of we talked about this like separately, but we kind of we lost our Ada episode and we've been like really dragging our feet doing it again. Because <laughs> we're like, ugh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> and um we've been kind of like chomping at the bit to do like beneath um the endless night. But we have to wait until August until we get like the epilogue and actually get it correctly in game and not because we've just been getting it in game. Yeah. Because errors. Um, and so I'm really glad that we're getting like this is a lot of lore and it's like separate and it's cute. And like we've talked about how like dense it's been with like cultural story driven lore and not like this happened and then this happened and then this happened like as as good as lore is that gives you story which is great you know lore that drives story i really like individual lore that you know that looks at like an individual lore that looks at an individual person like clifix yeah. Or lore that looks at, you know, Ido. I like I like lore like that. Or, you know, lore like um like the Forsaken Prince. I like books that follow individual people. Um I don't like Marasana. Sorry. <laughs> I mean like I like lore like Chronicon that follow Callus and not just because of sweet meats. Like, I like lore that follow individual people um, and individual stories. I like lore like this that look more at the Elixney and, like, look at their culture and follow people and look at their stories and give us more of that color and that vibrancy that adds to destiny. I don't need more, like, I don't need more extra, like, is what I Cora did today like I need the extra light and the extra crayon color that goes with it I'm not saying that because it's on like Titan armor <laughs> um like so so it, you know what I mean so essentially you like more character building and universe building yeah and I can definitely appreciate that um, like, I'm glad that they gave us that this time. Like, yeah, they're really nice little stories and they're compact and they're just individual little things. And I really appreciate that they took the time to do this. And it feels like a little gift and it's really nice. And thank you, whoever wrote it. Like, it's yeah, it's lovely. Like, they're really well written and. Like, I feel like they they really add to the Destiny universe, and I really appreciate it. They do. Because at, at this point, like, like, we've gotten stories about, you know, Ido and her backstory. We've gotten Elixni myths and legends that are told to their hatchlings, you know? Right. So, like, yeah. It's it's building up the Elixni. And uh, I'm... I'm transitioning into my you know bit mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah i personally really love this it's it's near the end of the season 
you know, we've still got about a month, month and a half left. But for a season that has been really dark, it's nice to have that that little bit of light lore, you know? And I'm I'm not saying, you know, oh, it, the lore has been really light right now. No, it, I'm talking like bringing happiness into it, bringing, you know, joy or yeah. that warm, fuzzy mm-hmm. feeling. Right. We kind of needed it. Yeah. Like, this was a good way of balancing the dark lore that we had all of this season. Now, that being said, all of these entries involve Ido, and I really hope that they're not building her up to do something horrible with her. Yeah, I was wondering if that was um, going to, if they were right. going to kill her off in the end. I'm hoping that that's not the case. Because um, one, like, I, I don't want to see her get killed off. You know, it, it, we just got her as a character. And we just got Mithrax and her relationship figured out and everything. So I like I want to develop that more. I want to see that developed more. Um, but because all of these entries are so heavy on Ido, I have this fear that something is going to happen to her. I mean, there's nothing that would... Uh, um make the Elixni and humans come together more in anger against, you know, future war cult and the darkness and everything else than to kill off a character that doesn't really matter, but that we still care about. And that would be killing off uh, Ido. Yeah. So. Cause at that point, if you were going to do it, like it would be her. Right. Because yeah. Because at that point, like you're you're giving Mithrax more reason and and more purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I understand it from a storytelling perspective, but from a fan perspective, I'm like, no, no, don't, <laughs> don't, don't let it go yeah. that way. It's. I mean, if if it's gonna if something like that's gonna happen, it would it would be good writing, but it would suck. <laughs> Right. I totally see it happening, but I don't want to do. Considering how how lovable these entries were, like, yeah, I I wouldn't want to see it happen. Yeah. Well, do you have any shout outs? Shout outs to my raid team. It took us three separate days of actually going into Master Vogue because time constraints but we finally got it yay holy crap <laughs> uh orchid shout outs um shout out to being a human and just like going out and like seeing friends like i forgot what that was like <laughs> it was kind of fun yeah what so. is that like it, um fun it's hot outside uh, I wore a dress. I do that when I'm not at work. I wear dresses. 
because I'm a, I like dresses. I was going to say because I'm a girl, but you can wear a dress whether you're a girl or a guy. So yeah, I've, I was about to say anything like, in between. So, you know, like wear a dress if you want to. It's hot because it's summertime in the Northern Hemisphere. So yeah, I was, a, you know, if it's was, the Southern Hemisphere, like wear, wear pants or, you know, don't. <laughs> if you want to be cold, neat. Yeah, but, I was about to say, like, I've considered wearing a dress. I mean, not my they thing. They have dresses but, your you size. Know. They have dresses my size. They definitely have dresses your size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I put on those, like, those, you know, locked in your house for 18 months, 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, I I went outside and went and played with doggos and things. It was fun. So, <laughs> shout out to seeing friends and going outside and stuff. Actually, do you know what? Shout out to Rindle. Yes. Um, our episode la- that just released last week had like major audio issues, and like Rindle saved us in like the eleventh hour. So thank you, Rindle. And um, he's going to actually be uh, editing our audio from here on out. Um, he's going to be doing like final final audio checks and like doing most of our audio editing. Like Ed, Elmas is going to be actually like cutting our episodes, but Rundle's going to be doing like the rest of our audio editing for us um, from here from this episode on. So thank you, Rundle. Yeah, seriously, thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's about it. We have some special thanks. Uh, the audio in this episode was produced by Rindle Zivas. You can find him on Twitter at Rindle Zivas. The artwork and music in this episode is copyright of Bungie. We're able to use it under their fair use policy because they love their content creators. If you'd like to dive into the Destiny lore on your own, visit ishtar-collective.net. Um, they are the resource that we use to make our show notes. Thank you so much, Baxter. Thank you, Baxter. Yay. Thank you, Baxter. Uh, here are some reminders. You can find us on Twitter at guardians underscore lore. You can find me at hey, it's Orchid, and you can find Elmist at I underscore am underscore Elmist. You can leave us an email at guardians underscore lore at outlook.com. Leave us a review wherever you can leave reviews. Uh, join our Discord and you can just hang out with us. We're kind of fun sometimes. Sometimes. I'm gonna say goodbye. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Most of the time. Sometimes. I don't know. Sometimes. Okay. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.